All right, if you will, take a seat. Take a seat, and we're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Luke today, chapter 12, starting in verse 13. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bible out and start going there, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Well, I'm so excited to be with you today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome you to church this morning. Uh, it's just been an amazing time of worship. I love the natural light. Natural light just makes me happy. You guys are going to... There we go. If you need to work on your tan, sit in this section. Uh, if you're, you know, just, just pro tip right there. Uh, you'll get a little sun over there. Last week, we began a new teaching series called Cultivate, where we're talking about how Jesus and the way of Jesus influences, inspires, and informs the work of our hands. And this is so important for us because we saw that as Americans, we spend 90,000 hours of our life at work, 90,000 hours of our life at work, and 90% of us say we have no passion no purpose, no meaning in our work. When I say us, I mean Americans. So we're spending huge amount of time at work and we feel aimless, purposeless, like we're just going through the motions. But I believe that Jesus has something more for us. That when we come into relationship with him, he has meaning for our work because you matter to God. And because you matter to God, he's given you work that matters to God. You have a purpose and an assignment that God has given each one of us. And when we look to Jesus, we begin to see that and we begin to fill. Last week we saw we fill our meaning bucket when it comes to work. Now last week I shared with you some stories uh, from history of different followers of Jesus and how they sought to integrate their faith and their work together. And I didn't just want to share stories from way out there. There's so many in our church that are trying to live this way, that are trying to practice this, that are trying to take their relationship with Jesus and let that shape the way in which they work. And so during this series, what I hope to do is to share different testimonies from different ones of us about what this looks like for us. And the people sharing testimonies, they're not perfect. They would tell you that. They don't have it all together, but this is something that's deep in their hearts and that they have some authority in that they want to, uh, that I've asked them actually to share with us because I think it will inspire you. And in school, I was the kid that I couldn't, I needed the teacher to do more than just tell me something. In math, I needed examples worked on the board so that I could see, oh, this is how that comes together. And so my hope is the stories last week or the stories over the coming weeks here in the service uh, wouldn't be like a template that you're like, oh, I've got to fit into a box and I've got to follow this and this and this, but it'd be more like a, a picture. Whoa, maybe, maybe there's something more for me here. Maybe that's an idea that, that maybe God wants me to take hold of. And we'll be doing some of those testimonies as well on Instagram, on the church Instagram account. So if you are on the gram, I'd encourage you to follow us and follow along with those stories. So first, uh, testimony, Steve, if you'll come on up. Yeah. Mr. Steve Hill. All right, come on into the light, my friend. <laughs> there we go. Steve is very excited because he's a New England Patriots fan. And if you're a Patriots fan, they're feeling Super Bowl this year. you got to step forward. You're my dream height. I, I wish I was as tall as you. <laughs> hey, so Steve, uh, I'm going to have him share a little bit with you guys. Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work? What do you do? What's your nine to five? I work for a company called Recycle Now. I'm a team member there. have some of my team buddies here also. And Recycle Now, we provide a doorstep recycling service for multifamily apartment communities. That's what we started doing. We expanded that to a doorstep trash service, junk calling, power washing, foaming, cleaning. And we serve almost 15,000 multifamily units here in DFW. Wow. So if you live in an apartment, you, Steve's company, y'all might be the one that come and take the recycling out. Is that what I understand? That is possible. That is possible, okay? <laughs> there you go. Now, you, I know you're being humble and say I just, I'm a team member there, but this is also something that was birthed in a dream that God placed in your heart that you've been pioneering 
away at for a couple years. Will you tell us kind of where did this idea come from and how has it evolved? Well, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, which is why I'm a New England Patriots fan. Yeah. I was getting, yeah, all right, we'll keep moving. <laughs> hey, but I, I heard Jason Witten's coming back to the Cowboys, so that's exciting. Right? Yeah. Yeah, 325 still, PM. the Cowboys a bone. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm from Boston, and at Brandeis University, where I went to school, uh, they had an environmental club, and they would go in the garbage every semester and pull out all the recyclables and make a display on the path. And when I moved down to Texas 10 years ago for a Teach for America program, uh, there were just no recycling bins anywhere. And in the Northeast, it's always like trash recycling, trash recycling for the bins. So I thought, well, maybe I should start a company in all these apartments where I lived in where there was no recycling that would provide the bins. Hmm. So that was the impetus okay. for it. Yes. There you go. And, and how long ago was that? I was about five years ago on a Saturday. I was sitting around in my sweatpants watching college football and hanging out with the guys. I thought, maybe I should try and do a little bit more with my life than just <laughs> lounge. <laughs> so... I shaved, I put on a suit, and I just went and I pitched the community manager. I said, hey, what do you think about this idea for uh, recycling? And he loved it. And so then I got some business cards made, and I, I took it from there. Wow. There you go. Okay, so tell us, because you have a, a deep love for Jesus, and you've experienced his grace and love. So how is that, how has your relationship with him influenced and inspired Recycle Now and the work of your hands? Sure. Well... The great thing about being a Christian is it's pretty simple. So it's love God and love your neighbor. Maybe serve some people. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. So you throw service in there. And I think earlier in my walk with the Lord, just I thought like maybe that was confined to church. So like you loved God in church. You served in church. But like not anywhere else. But thankfully, I matured a little bit, and you realize, no, that's supposed to be in all areas of your life, like your family, mm. your work, mm. your relationships, mm. every area. Mm. And life is so much better that way, because you wow. don't feel incongruent, like, oh, I'm, I'm this way over here, and then I'm that way over here. Wow. It's just Christ is in everything. Mm. So Ephesians 2.10, it says, like, we are God's workmanship, his poema, his, oh, you said it last week, his craftsmanship. Somebody's listening. Sky Tony Thanks. said, God's masterpiece to walk in the good things that he's predestined for us. Wow. So work is something that God's predestined for all of us. God mm. works. So when I'm working, I think, God, oh, you worked, mm. okay? And so no matter where I am, what I'm doing, primarily I'm a follower of Christ. Mm. Because I'm a follower of Christ, I know he works, I work. Mm. And so while I'm working... I want to be full of thankfulness. I want to be full of prayer. Wow. And honestly, guys like Maxwell Owen or John Polino or Jay Koshy, these guys, they do all of this all the time. I mean, we go to visit a client. Jay Koshy's praying nonstop. Mm. Wow. We get there. He's praying blessings on the clients. He's wow. praying for their prosperity. John's hiring guys. He's saying, hey, I'm praying about who to hire. I'm on site. Mm. I'm thinking. I'm praying. Wow. We're serving. So it's really easy when you're working with guys and girls who, who model that really well. Wow, that's awesome. So what would be an encouragement you would have for us as we're thinking about our, our work? Whatever you do in word or deed, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Mm. Doesn't matter if I hear a lot of younger guys complaining, like these murmurings, like, oh, I'm not passionate about what I do. Doesn't matter. Mm. You're working. Mm. So you're supposed to be doing that as unto the Lord. Mm. Wow. <laughs> It's that simple. Wow. So when I was a teacher, I didn't really like teaching, but I taught for seven years. And every year when it was over, I would pray and say, Lord, please, can I do something else? I really don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> He'd say, no, another year. It's like, oh. <laughs> but it's like, hey, it doesn't matter if I'm super passionate about this teaching thing. Mm. I'm a follower of Christ. Mm. Therefore, whatever I do, wherever I go, mm. is done hardly as unto the Lord. Mm. It's done without complaining. Mm. It's done without arguing. Mm. Why? So that you may be called blameless and pure, wow. children of God. Wow. It's that simple. Mm. Do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Do it without complaining. Do it with integrating prayer. Mm. Do it with integrating thankfulness. And, and people will notice. You know, you don't have to put a Bible verse on your truck that says, you know, John 3.16. That's good. <laughs> but sometimes it's as simple as just being. Yeah. 
And that's my motivation. Amen. That's awesome. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. So maybe something there was for you, just a little idea of how your faith in Christ might influence your work uh, this week. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13. We've been reading a teaching of Jesus uh, about work. It's set in the context of work. And actually, when you read through so many of the stories that he tells, they're about people working. Jesus has a definite view that his followers are going to be people with jobs like you and I have, whether paid or unpaid. Maybe you're in school. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you are uh, out of work right now. But, But we all have work that God has for us. And so we're reading Jesus' exhortations or encouragements related to the work of our hands. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist an abundance of possessions. And then he began to tell this story, a story about a person at work. And he said this, uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. This is verse 16. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then the man said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now, we saw last week, obviously, Jesus is telling this story to highlight this man as an encouragement and an exhortation to us not to follow in his path, right? That's why this man is labeled as a fool. This is who we don't want to be like. But the question I posed last week was, well, where did the man go wrong? Because if we miss this, we can miss God's heart and God's purposes for our work. The man did not go wrong. Jesus is not calling him a fool for uh, buying a field, for planting a crop, for having the wisdom to know this crop would go with this field and I can buy it in this timing and I can grow it and I can harvest it. He's not criticizing him there. He's not calling him a fool for that. He's not calling him a fool because his land, his investment did well and he was able to harvest a lot. He's not calling him a fool for building barns to store the grain of his harvest. He's not calling it. In fact, what we saw last week was that throughout Scripture that God holds up the example of people like this man who go out and they cultivate the earth. They cultivate the natural and the human resources of the planet. We see that when God created mankind that he gave us a calling to cultivate. So this man is living out the calling that God has given to humanity in the way in which he's working. That's, he didn't go wrong there, and we need to see that. God has given you a calling to cultivate. God has placed the calling on your life because you matter to God. And therefore, he's given you work that matters to God because people matter to God. So now, where did he go wrong? Well, we're going to see that, and we're going to focus on that today. What I want you to notice, I want you to look in verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus and grain. And then I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat Drink and be merry. I, 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 self, 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 self. Where this man went wrong was that he bought into the lie that his gifts were primarily for him. 
that his gift of business, his gift of entrepreneurship, his gift of harvesting and timing and all of those things, he thought they were for him, primarily about him. He said, I did well here with my investment. Now I know what I'll do. I will store it up for myself. His gifts were primarily about him. And it's so tempting when we think about work for us to think that our work and our gifts are primarily about us. When I was in high school, I imagine you had a similar experience. There's sometime they're like, man, we hope these kids get some careers. Uh, so we're going to do a career kind of day where they're going to learn about maybe a job they could have. And so you take, you, they gave us a list of, I don't know, 100 jobs. And they were like, hey, what on here looks good to you? What would you be excited about doing? So you kind of look through there and you circle a few things. And so that gives you a start. Then they have you take a test, and on that test, it tells you what you would be good at, and then they give you a list, and you're trying to choose one that you think, you know, would make you fulfilled and use your gifts and make you passionate, and that's about the extent of the career advice that's given, right? It's just, hey, what, what do you think? What's going to make you fulfilled? What's going to make you happy? And what's hopefully going to leave you very well compensated, uh, that's what you should do. It's what this man did. It's the way that he thought. And it's what the vast majority of us, we've been marinated in to think that way for our work. There's a sociologist who's passed away now, but he's a very famous guy, taught at University of California at Berkeley, so that means very smart, named Robert Bella. And he studied American culture and kind of the way our culture relates and forms. And in 1985, so this is a while back, in 1985, he wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. And he was talking about what is unique about Americans kind of in this time frame. And it was so interesting and it's so important for when we start to think about our work. He said, as Americans, we have this deep value for expressive individualism. Everybody say that, expressive individualism. What that means when we think about like the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? It's about us and expressing ourselves. And so we think that life and the best things in life, the most important things in life come from me making choices, the freedom to make choices in how I want to live my life. They come from me expressing my deepest self to the world around me. They come from me being fulfilled through the work of my hands. It's about my self-promotion, my self-actualization. If you want to use a term from Maslow's hierarchy, it's about me being all that I am supposed to be. And he said, when we think that way, which he said, the common default way that Americans think, he said, when we apply that to work, it begins to erode our society, and it breaks down our nation. And he's talking about this 30-some-odd years ago. How much more today when we look at the world around us? And this is what he said. He, I read that he was an Episcopalian. I don't know how, uh, how much of a person of faith he was or was not. He was not writing like a religious devotional book. But I want to point out what he said from an academic perspective. He said, to make a real difference in the problems that we're seeing in our culture, in our nation, he said there would have to be a reappropriation of the idea of vocation or calling and a return in a new way to the idea of work as a contribution to the good of all and not merely as a means of one's own advancement. So what's he saying? He's saying most of us, because of this deep, expressive individualism that we kind of carry, we think that our work is primarily about our own individual advancement. Does this job make me fulfilled? Do I like my job? Am I passionate at my job? Is this job paying me what I think I should make? Is this job giving me the career advancement that I think I should have? He said it's primarily that's the way that we think about work. 
And he said, if we would go back to an older way of thinking that work was not primarily about me or my gifts were not primarily about me, but that it was about making a contribution to others, he said, our, our nation would be dramatically healed through that. I believe that Jesus is getting at some of the same idea here in this story. He's saying, hey, this man made his work, made his, his work of his hands all about him, and he lived a foolish life. And Jesus is inviting us to live a wise life that's rich towards God. That's rich towards God. Rather than, rather than shrinking down, he's, he's inviting us to expand into a life that's much bigger than me, mine, and mine. And I want to give you a little example. Um, my kids love grapes. I don't know if you uh, like a good grape, but um, got some nice grapes at Sprouts yesterday. And <clears throat> grapes, I think, are a great metaphor or an image of the life that we've all been given. Life is a gift. Life is a gift from God that we've been given. And God has made sweet things about who you are, valuable things about who you are. He's put gifting inside of you that he's placed in you. Now, as we live life, life is hard. Who in here knows that life is hard? Yes. Life is hard. And so we try and figure out how do we navigate this life because no one makes it through life an intact grape. The pressures, the pain, the time, all of that seeks to crush the life of the grape, seeks to drain the life of the grape, seeks to wipe out the life of the grape. That's why these grapes will go bad if I left them here long enough. So, you know, when grapes are dried out, they become raisins. I think raisins might be the worst food uh, known to man. <sighs> Kids love raisins. I'll eat them on a salad, but I just, I can't get into raisins. So if you're a raisin lover, uh, more power to you, right? But, but raisins essentially, let's see if I can open this. Uh, raisins essentially are what? They're dried out grapes, right? They're dried out. They're desiccated. They're, they're shrunk up, shriveled up grapes, And when we live with our work being the center of, of, it's about me and my gifts and my advancement, this is what I believe Jesus is saying happens with our lives. That over time, that life and those gifts that we've been given, they shrivel up. I don't know if you've ever been around a child that's very, very selfish and just everything goes back to them, right? And we try as parents to discipline our children out of that mindset. Why? Because we know that if they act that way and they live that way, they're just going to be disgruntled and upset all of the time. They're going to have no friends. Our family is going to go crazy because they're just going to be like, mine, 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 mine. It's going to be awful. And so you try and discipline your kids away from that. What I've found, though, as we get older is, is we learn some more socially acceptable ways to express those desires, but when we dig down deep, the vast majority of us, we still have that thing going on. Life is about me. My gifts are about me, and we end up dried up, shriveled up grapes. I'll, I'll tell you, this man said his life was taken from him. Uh, his life was taken from him long ago. It wasn't just when he died that his life was taken from him. Like, think about what it would have been like to be around this man. Maybe you know a person like this. Maybe you are a person like this. Whereas, like, man, my work is about me. It's my investments, my plan. I'm going to use people to get what I want. And then when I succeed, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. That's no way to live, right? That leaves you dried out like a raisin. Now, the other interesting thing you can do with, with, with grapes is that you, again, they get crushed, but they can turn into wine. Right? Everyone paid attention. <laughs> there we go. We'll talk about that later. So you, 
right? Either way, the grape is going to be spent. Either way, you're going to spend your life. Like no one makes it out of your life. You and I have the choice. We can live life and we can do our work and you can do your nine to five like it's all about you. And you can end up like a shriveled old raisin. Or you can allow the pain and the pressure and the challenges of life as it crushes you, but you remain thinking about it's not primarily about me, it's primarily about him and them. My gifts are not primarily about me, it's about God and others. My gifts are not primarily about making me great, but they are things that I've been entrusted with to make others great. And if you will live that and if you will let the pain and the pressure of life crush you in such a way that that vision comes out in greater and greater and greater ways, at the end of your life, you'll be like a bottle of wine. This drink that's rich and the Bible says brings joy to the hearts of man. It's why God gave us wine. It's to bring joy. And you will live a life that is valuable and brings joy to others. Now, I got to tell you, I have wrestled with this so much. Sometimes I preach sermons that I'm like, this is good and true, and I know people need to hear this. And, and sometimes I preach sermons that are like, oh, this is cutting me close. So I just want to share with you a little bit of scripture that I've looked at and wrestled with because I find this mindset so deep in me, the gravitational pull of self and self-centeredness when it comes to my work so strong in me that I, I've just needed to go to the Lord over and over and over again on this. And a while back, I, I found this verse uh, that I'd read a million times, but I saw it with new eyes and I want to show it to you today. It's, it's in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter one. Joshua is this great leader of the people of God and God is speaking to him and he's giving him his career assignment. He's giving him, this is what you're going to do with the work of your hands. This is what I'm calling you to. God's giving him, this is the career marching orders. And this is what he says. God speaks to him. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised to Moses. So God's promising to put favor on his life. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Man, favor. He's going to have success. He's going to have power. God's hand is on his life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God will be with him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How amazing a promise is this. Then notice what God says to him in verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people into your inheritance. No. He said, you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. God gives Joshua his career assignment. My power is going to be with you. My favor is going to be with you. My hand is going to be on your life. So that you could lead someone else into their inheritance. Not so that Joshua could be led into his own inheritance. In fact, it doesn't say anything about what, is Joshua getting a piece of the pie in the end? It doesn't say but what God is speaking to him is the gifts of leadership that I've placed on your life are not primarily about making a life for you, but making a way for others. Not primarily about making you great, but making others great. Not primarily about leading you into your destiny, but about leading them into theirs. And I was just reading this and it just struck me. I was like, oh, man. And I started to think through the Bible. And this isn't just Joshua that kind of gets this. Abraham is known as the father of our faith. God speaks to him and he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your shield. My favor is going to be on you. I'm going to give you a great reward. And he says this, I'm going to bless you to make you a blessing to all the families on the earth. So Abraham has this Holy Spirit encounter where God is speaking. I'm going to pour my favor out on you. And Abraham was gifted in the area of business. You can read it throughout the book of Genesis. 
But his purpose was not to be a blessing unto himself, but that God's desire was to bless Abraham and to move in Abraham's life in such a way that Abraham would use the blessings he had, would use the gifts that he had, would use the strength that he had to bless all the families on the earth. You think about the great queen Esther, this woman who finds herself in this incredible place of authority and of influence. And she has this realization while she's there that her position, her gift of being queen and the beauty that was on her life was not about making her great, but it was that she might leverage the gifts and the favor that she had to save a nation. You think about the Apostle Paul, right? He had all the privileges of Roman citizenship. He knew all these different languages. He was well-trained, well-groomed from the right family on the right side of town with the right pedigree. And he said, you know what? This isn't about me. I'm going to leverage the things that I have in my life, not to make a comfortable life for me, but to be about God and to be about people. This theme is repeated over and over and over and over again. Our gifts are not primarily about us and making us great. Our gifts are primarily about God and making others great. And this is how God has chosen to display his glory in the world. This is how we live out being the people of Jesus on mission is we think this way. And it's so counterintuitive. It's so counterintuitive, right? The way that we just naturally think is like, I, this is my life and I need to focus. I, I want to be kind to other people, but at the end of the day, I need to get mine. And Jesus is faithful throughout Scripture to try and rescue us from the deceiving power of sin in this regard. He's trying to free us up. He's saying that actually that way of just focusing on your own life leads to you being a raisin. Luke 17, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will preserve it or will find it, depending on the translation that you use. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you will adopt this mindset, it's going to feel like death in many ways because you're going to be moving away from you being the center of your life. But if you do this in the end, you'll actually find a more expansive life. You'll actually find true life. You'll actually find peace. You'll actually find joy. Because when it's just about you, there's just a never-ending cycle of gimme, 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 gimme. Right? But he's inviting us into a much broader life of being rich towards God. Which means loving God and loving others. So practically, okay, cool idea. And I could see how that would make sense if I was like a cancer researcher and I was, I've got gifts and I'm going to use them to stop cancer. But you might be like, I don't have like an amazing job like that. I have a very normal job, a very everyday job. So how, how do we connect the two? And I want to give you four questions. Four questions that I want you to think about to reframe the way that you think about work. I'd encourage you to write these down, pull out your phone, notes. We're going to do a little exercise with them, a little application. So question number one, this is how we reframe our nine to five. This is how we reframe our nine to five. So if your nine to five is something that you're trying to escape from, you're like, man, if I could just get over there. I'm telling you, it's actually not going to come through just moving over there. But if you will adopt these, this mindset that I'm about to show you, You'll feel free. You'll feel like, wow, I got out of the ball and chain. I got out of the, the thing that's lulling me to sleep because it's so comfortable, but it just is there. But I know that God may be calling me to, to more. These four questions are going to help you. <clears throat> so when I was at the, the library with my kids the other day, uh, I always try and talk to the people in the little children's area, strike up a conversation. I met this gentleman uh, who had this huge, like, leg brace on, huge. I was like, hey, what would you do, you know, to your leg? And he said, oh, I'm a Marine. I was like, cool, tell me about that. And he kind of told me, well, I jump out of helicopters and so kind of didn't, didn't land the right way and so on and so forth. And he said, what do you do? And I always, I always think, man, this is just going to open up a spiritual conversation. Well, I'm a pastor. 
And without fail, that's when the conversation goes, like no one knows what to do with that. They're like, oh, I don't even know what, what follow-up question to ask. And I've watched so often when we talk about our careers, when we talk about our job or what you're in school to do, we'll think, okay, I'm going to say something that is going to explain what I do. And, and for the most part, no one else even understands it at all. Hey, what do you do? I sell financial services. I have no idea what that means. Hey, what do you do? Uh, I sell medical devices or I work uh, in uh, environmental industrial rehabilitation. I have no idea what that means. I'm a structural engineer. I don't know what that means. I mean, I know that you have had conversations where people tell you this is what they do. And if you're just trying to impress them, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 of course, of course. Well, most of the time we're like, uh, let's change the subject as fast as we can because I don't want to look stupid because I don't know what these different jobs are, right? And it's part of this symptom. Like we're just sharing it like it's about us. And so here I just want to give you uh, four questions. That I, I left the library, I was like, man, I should have said it this way. First question, who do you serve? Who do you serve? Whether it's your paid or your unpaid work, whether you're in school, everyone is serving someone. Everyone is serving someone. And when we start thinking about our careers, and when you start talking about your career, if you will stop saying, this is what I do, and leaving it there, but if you'll start with, this is who I serve, it will radically help you see that your gifts are primarily not about you. So it starts with, who do you serve? And we'll give us some examples, but I want you to write that one down. And I want you to start thinking, who does your work serve? And the answer is not, it serves me. That's not what we're going for. We're going for, who are you actually serving? Because everyone is serving someone. What problem do they have? So what is the problem, the people you are serving, or the industry you're serving, what's the problem that they have? Again, it's about them. How do you meet those needs? So now, break it down practically, simply, I do these three things to fix this problem, to help these people. And then this is such an amazing place where, where as a follower of Jesus, you can share about your faith and your love for him in such a natural way by talking about why do you do the work that you do? Why is it important to you? Why, why, how did you get into that? Such an open door. Such an open door. So those four questions. So I'm going to give you an example. Okay. You say, well, I sell financial services. I don't know what that means. Um, so let's, let's break it down into these four questions. Who do you serve? Oh, okay. Well, you know how financial stress is one of the things that is really challenging on married couples? In fact, research says it's one of the main reasons why, people, why marriages break up, because people are just stressed about finances. Well, I serve those people who have the problem of stress about finances. What do I do? I give married couples, I help them develop a more healthy relationship with money, through uh, teaching and through financial investments, helping them invest their money so that they don't feel the strain of finances so powerfully. Why do I do that? Well, I did that because in my family, uh, that's what broke my parents up. And I know the pain that that caused me, and so I feel like this is a way that I could help others not go through the same pain that I went through. It's a way to give back. It's four simple answers, very different explanation. And you see how if you will talk about your job this way, what it will do is it will help you rethink how you think about your job. Because it's challenging to actually think about, well, who am I serving? What am I actually helping them do? How do I meet those needs? Why do I do that? Okay, so uh, let's do another example. Um, let's think. You are an environmental uh, engineer, okay? No idea what that, is, what that means, right? But if you say, well, you know how uh, our planet really needs help in the area of pollution, and if we don't do something about it, it will eventually, like, you know, wipe us all out. It's already causing diseases and whatnot. Well, <clears throat> that's the problem. I help companies, that's who I help, who are currently contributing to making the environment worse, 
and I offer them consulting and strategies that actually helps them uh, change the way, of the, change their practices to best practices to actually help the environment rather than hurt it. And I do this because I believe that creation is something given to us by God to steward. And so I think that it's important that we leave a legacy for future generations. Wow. I learned something about you, but I just took what could feel like, ah, it's just a job into, this is a mission from God. If you're a parent, you're, you're, you're staying at home with your kids, you're like, well, what am, what am I doing? Great question. If you tell someone you're a stay-at-home parent, most of the time people don't know what does that entail, right? Just say, well, you know how kids, they need a whole lot of love, a whole lot of relationship, and a whole lot of stability to really grow up and flourish. And so what I do as a parent is I've chosen not to work outside the home in this season so that I could provide extra relationship, extra love, extra encouragement, extra consistency for my kids so that they can grow up and be all that God's called them to be. Why do I do that? Because I believe that children are a gift from God that he's given to us, and they're the future generation. So I'm investing in the future by investing in them. Wow. And that takes what can feel like a very mundane, we're going to the park again, and it puts it on, man, I have a purpose. I'm serving people. I'm on mission with Jesus, and God is at work. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Whether it's paid or unpaid work, what I want you to do is take your job or your school or what your unpaid work is, and I want to leave these four questions up there, and I want you to think through them. And you're going you're to share them with someone in just a moment. Okay? A little practice. I want you to find a partner. Uh, if you're married, they cannot be your spouse. If you're dating, it cannot be the person that you're dating. Uh, if you are a parent, it cannot be your child, although your child could go with you to, to talk with someone else. I want you to find someone sitting next to you, and I want you to share. I want you to ask, what do you do? And then go through the four things and then turn it around. We're going to practice together. So you're going to have to find someone near you. You might have to meet somebody new at church. I know, novel thing, but let's go for it. So it might have felt clunky on the first time through. It might have felt like, oh, huh, clunky on the first time through. But, man, I tell you, if you will take this and you'll start to think about your job this way, and you'll start when people ask you what do you do to talk about your job this way, it's going to help pull you away from thinking that your gifts are primarily about you. And it's going to help you live a much richer life where you're thinking my gifts and my time and my work, it's primarily about him, Jesus, and it's primarily about them. I had someone email me saying, hey, I took those two statements that I matter to God and my work matters to God, and I said them on my way to work every day this week. And it changed my perspective going into work. I tell you, if you'll do the same thing with these four questions, it will deeply, deeply change you and change your perspective and bring you out of what can be a toxic trap Help you escape the nine to five and live a much more expansive, life-giving life. Now, here's the deal. Uh, most of us, we probably won't do that. I know. I hate to be the bummer. Most of us probably won't do that. This is in us so deep that, that four simple questions will not change way down here. Those questions can help us remember, but it won't change down here. No. Although that would be a good promo. Even better than ADS. There was one who did live this way and actually did it perfectly. And I told you about Abraham. I told you about Joshua. I told you about Esther. I told you about Paul. You can read through their stories. They didn't pull us off perfectly. In their best moments, they were that way. But there was lots that wasn't, were not on the highlight reel. But Jesus, what I want you to see is that Jesus is the one who did this perfectly. The Bible says that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. That we who are rich, I mean, we who are poor might become rich. That though he was, a, that equality with God uh, was, was, was his, he did not consider that a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, came as a human for us and for our salvation. He said, I didn't come that you would serve me, 
I came to serve you and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so what I want to tell you is if we leave today with these four questions and our own best efforts to be better people, we're not going to go very far. And we're just going to get sucked back in to the gravitational pull of self-centeredness. But if we will look to him and we will see that this is the way that he has treated us. This is the way that he has loved us. This is the way that he has come for us. This is the relationship that he initiates with us. If we'll look to him, it will give us the power to break free from the gravitational pull of sin and self-centeredness and bring us into a wide open life. Because that's the life that Jesus lived. And that's the life he invites us into as his disciples. So as much as I want you to take those four questions home with you and apply them, I also want you to take home with you and remember the power is not in you. This is not just about being better people. This is about Jesus and how good he is. And letting his love and his grace transform our lives and make us whole. With that, I want to invite you to stand. Uh, we are going to respond today by taking communion together. We're going to take of the Lord's Supper. We're going to take of the bread and the cups with the efficiency. If you could start getting that ready. Uh, I, I want us to do this so that we remember Jesus. We remember his body broken for us. The one who gave himself on our behalf and then invites us into living that way. The one who his blood poured out for us. The one who gave himself for the forgiveness of our sins. And I realize today not everyone here as you're hearing this message is a follower of Jesus. We're talking about this. You might be like, I know who Jesus is somewhat. I, I've kind of thought church is this, but now we're talking about it in a very, very different way. And you may be realizing, man, I, the starting point for me is, is I need to know Jesus. I need to know this one who came for me when I was in my sin and is offering me new life and a way out. The one who died on the cross for me and rose again to give me life. And so I just want to ask everyone for a moment, if you would bow your head and close your eyes, just pray with me. Uh, and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you would say, hey, of all these things, the breakdown is I don't have a relationship with him. If that's you, or maybe you've been out of church and away from him for a long time, and you're trying to make your way back to God, I just want to invite you to do a small but powerful, powerful thing. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would just raise your hand if that's you, I want to pray with you. Because little public declarations of our faith like that, saying, Jesus, I need you, are such powerful steps. So just give you a minute if that's you. Just be bold and throw your hand up. I'm not going to call you up on stage. I'm not going to put your name on a banner. I just want to pray with you. Okay, if everyone can pray along with me, the hands that were raised and everyone else, Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you have come for me. That you died on a cross and you rose again so I could have new life in you. I declare that you are Lord. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Whether you're a longtime believer, you're just coming back to the Lord, or maybe today was the first time, that is a powerful prayer that has the power to change the trajectory of our lives together. Now we're going to take communion. The worship team is going to lead us. If we can have the efficiency up here with the elements, when you're ready, you can come forward and take of the bread and the cup and then return to your seat and take of communion and remember the Lord.